Thank you, Mr. Xander Ship. It's a privilege to be here again this morning. And uh, once again, we, our thoughts are with uh, Rob Griffiths, who is often here on the second Sunday preaching. And uh, because of his illness, and, and we are praying that God's glory will shine through in the midst of that, he is quite sick. Uh, because of that, it's my privilege to be able to stand here and preach again today. So thank you for the opportunity for having me back. I do appreciate it. Uh, but I look forward to when Rob can be back here on the second Sunday of every month and preach because of God's work in his life. So let's continue to pray for that, hey? It's good to see a few new faces here, as Ben said. Uh, thank you, kids, for the service that you've led. Thank you, Ben, for communion. It's been fantastic. Now, we have been working through the book of Ruth, and we've been in Ruth chapter 2. And originally I intended to do Ruth chapter 2 in one sermon. Um, I may have oversimplified that thought, and I think we're up to the fourth, third or fourth sermon in Ruth chapter 2. So I'm hoping we can smash through it and, and finish it up, not rush through it, but I'm hoping we can get to the end of Ruth chapter 2 today. So let's dig in. Before we do, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word and the richness of your word. I want to thank you that every time we open your word, you have more to reveal to us. And Father, this morning as we open your word, I pray that it will minister to each person here and speak into their hearts. Not my words, but the words that you have for each of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ruth chapter 2. Last week, we looked at it and we were introduced to um, Boaz who we will find out later is the kinsman redeemer or messiah or saviour. And we're introduced there. And so Ruth and Naomi, and because we've been on it for so long, I'm going to ask a bit of a pop quiz. We know that each character in Ruth represents someone else or a different type. And so for those who've heard me, a bit of a pop quiz. Who does, give you an easy one to start with because I've already given you the answer. Who does Boaz represent? Caleb. Thank you. And who is our kinsman redeemer? Jesus, that's right. He's our Messiah. Thank you, birthday boy. All right. Step up for a little bit more difficult one. Ruth. Who does Ruth represent? Oh, the kids turn. Xander. Yes. Sorry? The church's Gentile believers. Exactly right. That's who Ruth represents. And the last character that we're going to be looking at today is Naomi. Who does Naomi represent in the bigger picture? Timmy. God's loved ones, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you that one. That's exactly right. Naomi represents Israel. And so here we've got three characters. We've got Boaz representing Christ, the Redeemer. We've got Ruth representing the church or Gentile believers. And then we've got Naomi representing the nation of Israel. And last week we saw the introduction of Ruth to Boaz. And remember, in that introduction, as they met together, Boaz gave provision to Ruth. And those provisions were three things, and they represented protection, salvation, and the word of God. And that is what Boaz gave to Ruth in the same way that is what Christ Jesus offers to each one of us. His protection. Why? Because when we receive salvation and come into his family, we are a part of his citizenship or a part of his country. And the first thing, one of the highest priorities is for the king is to protect their citizens. 
And so he offers protection, salvation and the word of God. And what does Ruth do? She receives it with a thankful heart and positions herself. And because of the receptivity and because of the thankfulness and she chooses salvation, what does Boaz do? He blesses her again. And that's where we got up to last week. And now we're going to move on in Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 14. And for me, I believe that Ruth chapter 2 verse 14 is the pivotal change in the entire story in the book of Ruth. It's a fascinating one. It is, and we can read over it and completely miss the essence of it. But I believe that this is a crucial verse in the book of Ruth. And so we're going to read it. Ruth chapter 2 verse 14. And it says, Now Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, her is referring to Ruth. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. Why do I say that it's such a pivotal verse? Here we have the kinsman redeemer. We have Boaz inviting Ruth to sit around a table and have a meal with him. What have we just participated in here today? We have the Messiah, Jesus, inviting all believers to come and sit around a table in remembrance of him. We call it communion. Did you know that communion is in the Old Testament a number of times? Here is one of those instances where the kinsman redeemer, where the saviour invites the believers or invites Ruth to sit around and partake and have communion with him. And what is communion? It is a remembrance of who Jesus Christ is. And it says here in this passage that she ate and she was satisfied. You see, when we come around communion table, and this is important, the communion table is to point towards our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't point towards the Saviour, then our souls will never be satisfied. If you sit around the communion table, as some do, and they look at themselves and look at their own sinfulness, you will not walk away with a satisfied soul, but you'll walk away feeling contemned, condemned because you are a sinner. Jesus invites us to sit around the communion table and have our eyes taken off of ourself and our eyes put on Jesus Christ and him resurrected and him glorified that it may satisfy our souls. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus called, well, when Paul says that we should gather around the communion table and remember him, that phrase remember him is actually in the perfect tense. And it's actually talking about remember what he has done in the past, remember what he is doing right now, and remember what he is doing in the future. It is a perfect tense, but it also talks about not just what he has done, but who he is. Who he is. And who he is has never changed from the beginning to the end. Who he is for us is the Son of God. He is the one who spoke the world into being. He is the author and perfecter of life. But more than that, he is the redeemer who came down and brought redemption and salvation for us. 
You see, when we sit around the table and have communion, our eyes are to be drawn upon Jesus Christ and what He has done, how He entered into the world and laid down His life for us. And in doing so, the sin of the world was taken upon us. And as Ben and Lockie both said, He then gave believers and clothed us with His righteousness and gave us His peace that we may walk in Him as more than conquerors because of what Christ Jesus has done. That is, when we sit around the communion table, what we are to reflect upon. We are to reflect upon Jesus Christ and it satisfies our soul. And that is why it says in the book of Acts, whenever you meet together, share around the table. Not just on a Sunday in a service, whenever you meet together, Share around the table and have communion. Why? Because it lifts our eyes onto Jesus Christ. And in the act of putting our eyes on Jesus Christ, it satisfies our soul. And that is where Ruth was. She was sitting down at the table with Boaz, with the Redeemer, having communion, remembering his goodness. Remembering his sufficiency, remembering his provisions, remembering the blessings that he has just given her. And she is sitting down and scripture says, and she was satisfied. As believers in Jesus Christ, as we look towards Jesus, as we understand the depth of his love, as we understand what He has done, as we understand who He is for us and how He has clothed us in His righteousness and all that He has done for us. Our souls are satisfied and our deep longings, our deep yearnings find home in Him. And then it says also that she was satisfied and kept some back. It's an interesting phraseology there and we'll see why later on she kept some back. But the reason what she kept back was something to share with others. You see, when our souls are satisfied, when our eyes are on Jesus Christ, we have something to share with other people, do we not? We have something to take the hope, the message of Jesus Christ. We can then share because it overflows out of our life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse 15, it says this. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense or to share to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to share the hope that is in you. What hope? The hope that you have because of Jesus Christ and what he has done. The hope that satisfies your longing. And do you know what? The hope that will satisfy the souls of others when they too receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. And then they too can be invited around the table and their eyes can be cast upon Jesus Christ. And so her soul was satisfied and she kept some back to share with the others. How awesome is that? Right there, I could stay on this passage of Scripture For such a long time. From this one verse. But we also see here. Not only did she sit around the table. But in the book of Ruth. We see a shift here. Where she will now be walking under grace. She will now. She's moved in a sense from walking under the law. And doing what the law required. To walking under the grace of Jesus Christ. And his offering. And his blessings. 
And we're going to see that. Remember last week, for those who are here, I made the mention that the abundance and the blessings only just beginning. And we're going to look at some of that today. Well, we're going to carry on. Now, the first blessing is the invitation to sit around the table and and eat and remember who Jesus is. It is a constant blessing. I must admit, I'm constantly surprised when I hear of churches who don't celebrate communion every time I meet. It is a central element. And I commend this church for doing it. Every time you meet, you take part in communion because you are remembering Jesus Christ. And doing it where you're remembering Christ Jesus will bring satisfaction to your souls and allow you the opportunity to have left over to share the the hope that you have with others. I'm going to move on from that one now and look at verse 15. Ruth 2.15 And when she rose up to glean, I love this, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, So set the image. Ruth has been invited to sit around the table and have a meal. And she goes, okay, I need to get up now. I need to go back and I need to go back to the field because she's picking up the leftover um, grain that the reapers didn't get. And so she goes, I need to go out there and pick up some, some more grain. You see, a part of the law was a requirement that they left grain for poor people or for strangers or for foreigners. And so she says, okay, I best get back out there so that I can get enough grain to make some flour for food. Okay, so she gets up and leaves and then Boaz, the redeemer, says to his, the reapers who are going to go out there and continue the harvest. Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. You see, here we need to understand that the law said that the reapers could not reap right to the edge of the fields. They had to come in a little bit and leave. They had to cut corners and allow the poor and the foreigners to come through and pick up that was left. The law also said that if they dropped or left a sheaf out there in the field, that they were not allowed to go back in there. Okay, and I've made the joke previously that I would be really bad because if I was one of the reapers, I'd probably send bankrupt the person who owned it because I'm so forgetful, I'd leave all the sheaves out there and literally we're not allowed to go back out there and get it. And if you drop grain on the ground, you're not allowed to pick it up. That's the law. Boaz says, let her have whatever she wants. In actual fact, Boaz says, I want you to take grain from the sheaves, grain that you've reaped, and I want you to drop it on the ground for her. I want you to bless her. I want her to walk in the blessing and in the abundance. I want us to go over and above that what the law says. I want her to walk home with with an absolute blessing. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, It says, but Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. The Redeemer came and fulfilled the law completely, that he is the end of the law. And so if anyone tells you that we are still under law, does not understand the writings of Paul, and does not specifically understand this verse, which says and cannot say it any simpler, does not need interpretation, Christ is the end of the law. (laughs) 
Christ is the end, it continues on. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Sorry, that was verse 3. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law and says the man who does those things shall live by them. In the original Greek, it becomes very obvious what he's saying. What Moses is actually saying, and in the Hebrew that Paul is referencing here, in the original, he's saying those who want to live by the law have to live by the law every year, every month of every year, every day of every month, every hour of every day, every minute of every day, every second. It is unrelenting. You cannot for a moment stop. There is no rest under the law. And in fact, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 7, and we looked at this last week, it actually says when Boaz comes and sees Ruth out in the field and he asks uh, the unnamed servant, he says, who is this and what's been going on? And in verse 7 it says, and she, meaning Ruth, asked and said, please let me glean and gather in the reapers among the sheaves. She came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested not even a little, because she was under the law. In that component. And under the law there is no rest. Paul continues on in Romans chapter 10. And says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. You see, going back to the righteousness of the law. If you want to have the righteousness of the law. If you want to be deemed righteous under the law. Then you have to do everything perfect under the law. You break one law, you break them all. You break one law, you're no longer righteous. Which is why the Israelites had all of these sacrificial components to try and come back because they knew they couldn't do it. And they knew that they couldn't be righteous in and of themselves. And so the law is come to the end in terms of righteousness. And then it says here in verse 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. You see, under grace, it's not what you do. You don't need to go to the ends of the world. You don't need to reach up and and achieve to go into the heavens. Or you don't need to go down in the pits to earn your righteousness for Christ has already done that for you. And he, because of him, and your faith in him, you are clothed in righteousness. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, it goes further and it says this. It says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness. Another way to change that and to paraphrase that is that grace flows to the righteous. Grace flows to the righteous. Ruth had just sat at the table and had communion and she was aware of the Redeemer and what the Redeemer had done. She understands that she's in grace. She understands the salvation that she has because of her kinsman Redeemer and what's been offered. She understands that her she is now righteous. Not a righteousness that she has earned, but a righteousness that is given to her by her Saviour, by the kinsman Redeemer, and she now walks in grace. So do you and I. 
if you have faith in Jesus Christ. You walk in grace because of his righteousness and grace flows to the righteous. And in fact, when you're conscious of your righteousness, the righteousness that Christ has given to you, not trying to earn it, but the righteousness that Christ has given to you, it actually puts you in a position to receive the grace. Because you can see, you have eyes to see the blessings and the abundance all around. And Boaz says to his reapers, he says, okay, when you go out, I want you to start dropping grain on the ground for Ruth to pick up. In Psalm chapter 65, or Psalm 65, it says this. I love this verse. It says, Psalm 65, verse 11. And this is in response of praise to God for salvation, his providence. In Psalm 65, verse 11, it says, God, you crown the year with your goodness. You crown the year with your goodness. And then it says, and your paths drip with abundance. Your paths drip with abundance. Here Boaz says to the reapers, as you walk along, I want you to pull out grain from your sheaths and I want you to drop them on the path that Ruth will work, will walk. I want you to drop abundance. I want you to drop blessing. I want you to drop provision in front on the paths that she will walk because she has eyes to see and she will not pass over it. Which is why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through to 33, Jesus says, I don't want you to worry about your life. Worry doesn't bring a thing to you extra. He says, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. He says, but I want you to seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I want you to be aware of my righteousness that I've given to you. And in actual fact, and those people who are regulars at this church, you will know what the kingdom of God is because Paul tells us the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. So Jesus is in fact saying, I want you to be conscious of righteousness, peace and joy, especially my righteousness. Because when you are conscious of your righteousness that I give you, you are in a position to receive the blessings that I have for you. And so Boaz says to his gleaners, when you go out, we're not going to just do what the law requires. We're going to go above and beyond. When we go out, you know, if she wants, if she wants to come up and take out of the sheaths that you've been harvesting, let her. In fact, more than that, because she may not have the confidence to come up and just do that, more than that, just start dropping stuff for her as you go along, because I want to bless her. And in the same way, Jesus says that about you and I. He says, I want to bless these people because they are righteous and they walk in my grace. Verse 18. Then she, and again referring to Ruth, then she took it up and went into the city. Oh, sorry, sorry, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So she's walking along and she's finding all that she's got eyes to see and she's seeing this blessing, she's seeing this grain on the ground and she's picking it up and she picks up about an ephah of grain. Now I want to stop and say, Ruth may not 
She could have walked the exact same path and may not have had eyes to see. And she could have walked over that path without picking up any of it. Do you know what? The same is true of you and I. Jesus Christ wants to bless us. But do you have the eyes to see the blessing that is on offer? Do you have the eyes to see? Or are you walking about looking at your own selfishness, looking at your own sinfulness, looking at your own self? Which is why Jesus calls us to sit around the table, to come and remember him so that as our eyes are lifted up, so that we see him in all his glory and we are in a position to see the blessings. While we need a renewed mind so that we can understand what's going on, what he's doing. So she picked up an ephah of barley means nothing to us, does it? What's an ephah of barley? Let me tell you. I can tell you exactly, but I'm going to read to you uh, from someone who, who's done some work. An ephah of barley, was a, or an ephah, was a dry measure, equivalent to one-tenth of a homer. Now you all know exactly, don't you? <laughs> Has that cleared it up for you? No, it hasn't. An ephah was equivalent to a bath. There you go. That doesn't help either. A bath is a liquid measure. Jars labelled bath was found at an archaeological sites in Israel and contain approximately 5.8 gallons or one and a half to two thirds of a bushel. Thus an ephah of barley would have weighed about 29 to 30 pounds, just over 13 kilograms. So she gets the grain, she's been out in the field one day. And she gets the grain and she takes it up to the threshing floor and she crushes it and she walks home with 13 kilograms of flour. That's not bad for a day's worth of work, is it? That is the blessing and the abundance that she walks in because of what Boaz has done. That is a lot of flour. Could you imagine her? Not only that, imagine how much grain she has to carry up to the threshing floor to beat out to actually do it to get 13 kilograms of flour. Like, that's a lot of hard work, isn't it? But it's a blessing that has been given to her. And then she has to carry this 13 kilogram bag back from the fields, back into the city where she's living. She's weighed down with the blessings. She's weighed down with abundance that has been given to her. How good is that? You wouldn't want to whinge about that, would you? Oh, God's blessed me so much I can barely carry it. This Boaz, I don't know, he's given me so much grace. That's the reality. That is what Boaz did for her. He wanted to offer her so much that she actually caused her a problem to be able to carry home all of this flour that she'd crushed out. And what's more, she would have had to walk home late because it would have taken her such a long time to crush the grain, to get the flour, to go home. The problems you have when God blesses you so much, hey? It's tough work. Now verse 18. Then she took it up. What did she take up? She took up these 13 kilograms of flour and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So here we have Ruth coming home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth, sorry, Naomi sees how much flour she has. And she goes, wow. And Naomi goes at that point, and there's more, and she pulls out from the meal that she had that she kept out and shared with her mother-in-law. You see, God, when he blesses us, 
He doesn't want us to hide the blessing. He wants other people to see the blessing so that then they go, wow, and we have an opportunity to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the meal. That's what she kept over once she was satisfied. That's what it says here. She shared with Naomi the hope that she had in her heart because she sat around the table and her soul was satisfied. And so she goes home and she shares with Naomi. Allow God's goodness and his blessings to be seen. Don't be arrogant about it, but allow it to be seen and to be natural. Don't hide them away and then be prepared to share the hope that you have because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and given to you. Looking at the time, we're going to continue to move through because I want to get to the end if that's okay. Verse 19, And a mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives, or your version might have, a kinsman redeemer. You see, here we need to understand that Ruth, who represents the church, introduces Naomi, who represents Israel, to Boaz, who represents the Messiah. The church will introduce to Israel the Messiah, the one who they neglected, the one who they rejected, the one who they cut off. The church will introduce them to the Messiah, and one day in future they will receive him as their saviour, as their Messiah. Do you know what? But we already live in the start of those days. We're seeing Jews all around the world be introduced to the Messiah through the Gentile church, and they are receiving him by faith and coming in to the kingdom of God. How good is that? All of this in the book of Ruth. And Naomi recognizes Boaz as one of her own kinsmen, redeemer, or as one of her own, as the kinsman redeemer. In the same way, the nation of Israel will recognize Jesus Christ as one of their own, as a descendant of Abraham through the lineage of King David, and will realize that he was a Jew like them who came to bring salvation. The word kinsman here is the word goel. And the goel or a redeemer, to them belong the right of redemption. And therefore were called by the name of goel, a redeemer. They had a right to avenge the blood of the slain, to redeem their houses and possessions if sold or mortgaged, and their persons by marrying and raising up to a seed to a deceased brother or kinsman. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25 through to 26. It actually talks about the law of redemption and the role of the kinsman redeemer and how if you were poor and you needed to sell your property off that the kinsman redeemer could come and buy it back or maybe you got yourself into such a position that you needed to sell yourself as a servant then the kinsman redeemer could come in and purchase you back and give you your freedom back as well. And I'm not going to read that But in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 47 through to 50, it says this, Even if some of you Israelites become so much in debt that you must sell yourselves to foreigners in your country, you still have the right to be set free by a relative, such as a brother or uncle or cousin or some other family member. 
In fact, if you ever get enough money, you may buy your own freedom by paying your owner for the number of years you would still be a slave before the next year of celebration. Here we have, in essence, law and grace that says you're a slave. You and I are a slave to sin because of Adam and Eve. It says if you can afford it, go ahead. Redeem yourself. Buy back your freedom. But you and I could never do that. And so there was another provision that another one, a relative, could come in and purchase your freedom and buy you back. It's interesting in Job 19, in the midst of his suffering and in the midst of his anguish, he says this, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Meaning, I know that my Redeemer, my Goel, is coming and he will bring my redemption. You see, you and I, we needed a Goel too. We needed a Redeemer And he needed to be a close relative or he needed to be a human being. And so Jesus Christ, the creator, the one who spoke all into being, became a man to enter into his creation to be our Goel, our redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, to buy us back and bring us into salvation or give us our freedom that we could never buy for ourselves. He is our kinsman redeemer. Christ became man and brought salvation for us in the same way that Boaz was going to do and we will see further on in Ruth. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabiter said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. You see, there's a lot more there that we can unpack just in those few verses, but I'm very conscious of the time. And all I want to say is that Boaz said to her, I know that you've been blessed this day. Don't go into another field. Stay in my field, for I want to continue to bless you. I want you to stay within my realm of influence. I want you to stay within my realm of protection because I want you to walk in the abundance and I will speak to my reapers and ensure the blessing will remain on you. So stay close to me. And Boaz uh, and Ruth did so. And the same invitation is to you and I as Gentile believers to stay close to Christ. He has given us the word of God, one of the things, to instruct us, to inform us how we should walk, not out of law, not out of duty, but out of a closeness to the Father and position ourselves to be able to understand who Christ is, that we may walk in his abundance and in his blessing so that he may meet every need that we have. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That's good. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you just for your love and how we can see in the book of Ruth how much you love your people. Father, I pray for each one here today that you'll help them to see you, have eyes to see your love, have eyes to see that which you want to pour out upon them. Have eyes to see so that they don't walk over the blessings that you have laid out on the paths that they are going to walk this day and this week. 
Bless them in many different ways, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.